At the Moot Eucharist on the first Sunday of Lent 2013, Aaron Kennedy explores the lectionary texts of Luke chapter 4, Romans chapter 10, and Deuteronomy chapter 26 to explore the theme of being the people of peace and Lenten reflection. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And... On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Well, welcome to this Moot Eucharist in Lent, when, as you know, we will be considering what it looks like to become more fully the people of God which we're talking about in terms of a people of peace. Hands up if you feel like a person of peace tonight. <laughs> Somebody must. Well, I don't. Uh, and that's not written down here, actually, because uh, I was probably feeling fairly peaceful when I wrote it. Um, feeling a little bit less peaceful now, and that's just the way it is. Um, I, I suppose this building and being here together is... is helping us to feel more prayerful and peaceful. But the truth be told, we all have come tonight with our own big bag of stuff. Isn't that not true? Give me an amen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, we'll be learning together this m next month or so with our Lenten reflections about nonviolent communication and how the Christian path can help us discover a deeper communion with our friends and indeed with our enemies. But to get us started, I want to introduce you to mirror neurons. Hands up if you've heard of mirror neurons. Oh, come on, Tim. Regina, the nurse. Um, well, I hadn't until yesterday, but there you go. Um, as I understand it, mirror neurons, which were only discovered about 20 years ago, occur in the brains of animals and humans, and basically... Uh, in my hugely distilled and non-technical way of explaining things. What they, ex what they tell us about human beings is that we learn through mimicry, copying. In fact, we learn to desire according to the desires of others. 
the example given is that of a monkey who, when he picks up a, a raisin, the neurons fire off. When the scientist picks up the, the raisin, the neurons also fire off. And there's this link. Um, lots more can be said about it, but that's as much as I know. Um, so yes, we see what other people want, and the mirror neurons predispose us to want accordingly. Now obviously free will comes into it at some point, and there's a lot more complexity to the human person, but these neurons, scientists believe, have played a huge part in the development of the human brain and of, of our relationships, um, particularly when we're babies, because we're much more vulnerable then to um, the influence of others. Basically, we become like those we spend time with and develop significant relationships with. Specifically, we desire the things our significant others desire. We've all been formed by our parents or guardians, and always partly for good and partly for bad, especially when we're very young. We learn to see ourselves as they see us, to love ourselves or not, as they either love or do not love us. But even as adults, we spend our time, who we spend our time with impacts significantly on the kind of people we're going to be. We bring all of our experiences of all of these significant others into our adult lives and try to function the best we can. I'm willing to say there's one thing we all have in common tonight, um, whether we're Christians or Buddhists or any other kind of faith or none, is that we're here because we've perhaps got some sort of need for something more. We might not even call it God. But we've discovered that we need help in living our lives. Somehow we've reached a limit to our ability to make life work in our own strength. It's important to note that I, I think that it's a relationship that we're searching for, not solely just information or knowledge. Uh, as humans, we need friends, teachers, gurus to help us grow. And as Christians, for those of us who see ourselves there, we find that Jesus is the role model for that, leading us into a more healthy, sustainable, coherent, and peaceful place as a person. The heart of becoming God's people, a people of peace, I would say, is the decision to allow God to be the one we mimic most. In fact, this could work as a definition of worship. Happy to discuss that afterwards. God especially as revealed through Jesus, becomes our significant other with a capital S, capital O. And Jesus wants us to enter into the same relationship he had with the Father. One that was so sufficient and powerful that it gave him the grace not only to stay true to the Father in the desert and all of the temptations, but to go to the cross and to die there with love and forgiveness in his heart for those who put him there. And indeed God. And I know that's not the kind of reaction I think I would have if I were in his shoes. In all of what I'm saying tonight, I'm just trying one way or another, however clumsily, to say one thing. God doesn't give us peace per se. God gives us herself. God wants to take us on an exhilarating and challenging journey like the one recounted in the, the Deuteronomy reading there which was remembered and the first fruits were offered. Somewhere along the way on that journey, we're likely to find that we're increasingly at peace. But actually at first, we might find we're being led into our anxieties and our difficulties. 
At the heart of peace is a letting go, a falling, a not being in control, a surrender. Perhaps even at the heart of peace is a willingness to surrender, the need to find peace. And as we learn to trust God, a whole new creation is brought into being. That's the exciting part. When the devil tempts Jesus to throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple, saying that God will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone, he is, he is quoting from Psalm 91, but he's taking the verse entirely out of context. Here's the context. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, so that they will not, you will not dash your foot against a stone. A little bit more of the context there. At the heart of the promise given in this psalm that God will protect us is the radical idea that we make God our refuge and our fortress. The devil tempts Jesus to jump off the peak uh, of the temple in a fit of selfish despair or something like that, trusting that God will protect him. This, of course, has no resemblance to the trust being spoken about in the psalm. The motivation is all wrong. If the devil would have Jesus step out in selfish despair, the psalmist implores us to let go of self and fall into God. If the devil's jumping off asserts the control of the false self and creates separation from God, the psalmist is about relinquishing control, creating a new self and being more in communion with God. So he's got it partially right, but he's misinterpreted it. Let's hear those verses again, because this is the bit I want you to go home with. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. Now, something interesting about this you might have already guessed, but because the image of a fortress is obviously only an analogy and a pretty loose one, by implication, the kind of protection God will afford us if we trust in her is not exactly what you might expect a fortress to do, for example, for a people under threat of physical violence from a neighboring enemy. In fact, letting God be our fortress requires us to let down our guards to enter into a whole new level of intimacy and vulnerability with God. It's going to feel like being unprotected for quite a long time. So radical is this new intimate and vulnerable relationship and the new self that comes into being as a result that Jesus said it was like being born for a second time. And Nicodemus said, but how can a grown man go back into his mother's womb? And of course, to be born again into a new life, logically enough, requires the death of an old one. It involves entering into what St. John of the Cross called the way of the cross. The good news 
and there's lots of it. But the good news is that the way of the cross describes a journey, not a destination. We don't have to be there right now. This is just what life is about. It describes an ongoing journey of transformation, not an unattainable standard of perfection. And although it describes the realization that we are sinners and in need of repentance and forgiveness, when you're inside that story, these are gentle judgments that release the grace of God into our lives and form in us the new self. Now, as we progress through, through Lent and this community discussion and learning and prayer that we're going to go through, may I suggest we use this as a time to reflect, at least for the next few days before our first Wednesday meeting, um, on our interactions with others, especially the stress points where the tension comes, and just to sit with those feelings and with a mindfulness to what our fortresses are, where are our refuges, and what are the knock-on consequences on our relationships for those things? Where might God be calling us to let down our guard, the old broken-down fortresses that create distance and separation between ourselves and God and in our human relationships? How might we allow God, as revealed through Jesus, to become our significant other, to become the one we worship? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.